Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hello and welcome to another edition of the CPF Firewire. I'm the CPF president, Brian Rice. And this year, we're adding more than 80 names to the California Firefighters Memorial in Sacramento, and nearly half of those firefighters died from job-related cancer. Dozens of studies over the years have underscored the tragic reality that if you're a firefighter, you're at a much higher risk of getting cancer. Now, four decades after CPF's landmark cancer presumptive law, an agency of the World Health Organization has said it as plainly as it's ever been said, and that's being a firefighter can cause cancer. This new finding by the International Agency for Research on Cancer It's a game-changing moment for the health and safety of firefighters, and it's about protecting those who have developed a job-related cancer and then laying the groundwork to better protect those that are on the job. And today on the Firewire, we're going to be talking about this new finding from the IARC and what it means, what it means in the field and what it means um, in practicality for working firefighters. And today joining me are two men that... um, have done a lot of work in this field and that have the backs of firefighters that are on duty throughout this nation. So I want to begin by introducing Dr. Jeffrey Burgess. He's a professor at the Mel and Edith Zuckerman College of Public Health at the University of Arizona. Dr. Burgess has been um, researching the health risks faced by firefighters for over 30 years, and in particular, the risk posed by job-related cancer. He is one of a handful of invited researchers who were part of the IARC working group that produced this finding. And also joining us is Brian Frieders. And Brian is the president and CEO of the Firefighters Cancer Support Network. And Brian spent over three decades in the fire service before retiring as the chief of the Pasadena Fire Department. He's led the Cancer Support Network since 2009 and Like many of us, the issue of firefighter cancer is very personal to him. So, gentlemen, I just want to take a a moment and welcome each of you and thank you for for joining me today. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brian. And Dr. Burgess, can can we all go to first name? Yes, please. Everybody everybody okay with that? Thank you. And Jeff, I'm going to go to you first. And I'd like to start by talking um, a little bit about your background and your research background. Um, you've, been re- you've been involved in researching health effects on firefighters going back as far as 1992. H- how did you become um, interested in researching firefighters and, and occupational exposures? What kind of what lit your fire, pardon the pun, to uh, really look into the, to this occupation? Uh, Brian, thanks for the question. Uh, so I originally trained in emergency medicine. And then after, afterwards, there's a, a, a specialty called medical toxicology. It's looking at the effects of exposures on people. And so as when I was doing that, I started to work looking at the effectiveness of respiratory protection in firefighters. So that actually was with Tucson Fire, as you mentioned, back in 92, 30, 30 years ago. Um, and then after that, I uh, ended up when I was doing occupational medicine, looking at the long-term effects of firefighting on firefighters through that medical screening, medical surveillance. And we found that 
you know, some of them were having more more rapid changes in lung function than we uh, had anticipated. So started looking into that, and the, one thing just led to another. Um, and then when uh, I think it was in 2014, after you know we had already established a really nice collaborative working relationship with Tucson Fire, one of their fire cause investigators died of leukemia. Uh, leukemia uh, in the state of Arizona at the time was a, a presumptive, uh, was within the presumptive cancer law, but case still got turned down. It was clear that additional information was needed you know, to, to help support these cases, um, to allow us to move forward. And, you know, from that point on, we've just been really focused heavily on cancer risk and firefighters. And, and Jeff, as you've done, you know, your, your body of research over the years, how was it as you started out versus today and how clear is it, um, from your research in science that there's there's a um, a significant link between cancer and firefighting? Well, I'll, I'll take us back to 2007, which was the last time that IARC reviewed firefighting. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be there at that point, and I know we'll come back to this, but at that point, there was a lot less research out there. Um, so they only considered firefighting to be possibly related to cancer. Um, and in that, 15-year interval between then and now, there's been just a huge amount of research that has come out. Uh, we, you know, we've been involved in, in a number of studies, but there's many more studies, you know, in addition to ours that have gone on. For example, uh, the one with uh, Dr. Doug Daniels at NIOSH that worked that looked at uh, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco firefighters, <clears throat> they found an increased cancer risk overall for those firefighters. And then particular cancers were elevated, you know, well beyond that in the general population. So we've seen those studies come out in the interim. They're pretty convincing by themselves. But then when you add on some of the work, we're looking at individual exposures of firefighters and the effects of those exposures uh, leading to changes that increase your risk of cancer. I think it was pretty clear that there was going to be uh, a lot more information to go on in this last IARC round. Wow. Uh, and I want to come back to that because I before we before we conclude all of our conversations, I, I definitely want to um, talk to you and, and get an insight on um, women in the fire service and cancer. And has, has there been a breakout? We all know that anatomically men and women are different. We have different reproductive systems. You know, we store fats differently. And, and I want to come back to that because that is one of the areas that I've always felt like we were lacking and, and, and I'm hoping you have some insight there and can um, fill in some gaps as we, as we go along uh, discussing this. And Brian, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot over to you. You and I go back um, quite a ways and I've, I've always been proud of our association um, together and talk to us. Um, you know, you spent 30 years in the fire service on the front line doing both um, uh, labor and management work. And um, I know this is personal to you. And, and if you don't mind, kind of um, tell me a little bit about your journey through the fire service and then how you um, came to leadership in the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. Yeah, Brian, thank you. Um, first of all, I, I just think it's important to recognize, and you said it, you know, the relationship that CPF has had with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network has been 
I mean, and yielding. You, you, the CPF has been a, a staunch supporter of this organization since its inception. And, uh, you know, Brian, you yourself have been a huge advocate for firefighter health and wellness and safety. You've made it a priority with everything you've done. Um, you know, when you and I have talked, when there's been a need, you've always addressed that. You've always stepped up at the plate um, to help us out. And I just want to acknowledge how much and how grateful I am personally to you and the entire CPS staff for really being there for us and letting us do what we need to do and helping us enable uh, assisting firefighters throughout the state to make sure that they're getting protected, they're getting everything they need. So, um, you know, it is personal. And the reason that being involved in this organization is personal is in 2004, my engineer, uh, Gary Salt, died of occupational cancer. And we had no idea that cancer was as prevalent in the fire service as it was and as it is. We all kind of knew it. It was one of those things you just didn't talk about. It was always a risk, but nobody ever really talked about it because it was just one of those things. Until it hits you and until it happens to you, until it happens to your organization. And when Gary died, uh, it took him, it was three months, uh, brain, metastatic brain cancer, never knew he had it. And it was really a tragedy. It devastated our department. It devastated me. It really caused us all to take an introspective look on what we're doing. And I met Mike Dubron at Gary's funeral. He came to his funeral and told me about the Cancer Network and what the organization does. And uh, I was immediately hooked. And there was six or seven of us in the organization at the time. And now the Firefighter Cancer Support Network is more than 350 people strong across the United States into Canada. And the reason that we've been able to provide assistance to firefighters is because of the support of people like CPF and yourself who understand the importance of having a mechanism by which firefighters can call and get assistance and understand what they're about to embark on and perhaps the most challenging journey of their life. So, you know, to me, there's nothing more gratifying, there's nothing more satisfying than being able to have a conversation with a firefighter who's just been given tragic news and devastating news. Um, a firefighter who's scared, who's not used to being the one asking for help, but the one used to providing help being able to comfort them and provide them assurance that they are not alone, that we have resources to help them out and being able to guide them through their journey. There's just nothing more gratifying than that personally, professionally, or humanistically. So for me, it's a privilege to be part of the organization. It's not a burden. It's something I have treasured in my career. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm convinced that the reason that I got involved in the fire service is to be able to be there for others that need it in their most desperate times. Thanks, Brian, and and it it it's mutual. It it's it's an honor for CPF and for myself personally, um, not only to work with you, but um, be a part of that fabric and that network that that supports our brothers and sisters that um, come down with cancer. Jeff, I want to go back to you. Like we mentioned at the top, the big news from IARC was coming out with a finding finding that basically describes the firefighter occupation as a group one carcinogen. And I, I was hoping you could kind of give, give a little bit more detail around that. Um, you know, firefighters are listening to this around the kitchen coffee table and, and for them and for me too, we, we really want to have a, a baseline understanding. We're simple people, you know, with a, with a job that can get very complex and we know that research is complex, but you're speaking to firefighters. What, Jeff, what would you want them to know about this new finding and, and what it means to us professionally? Sure. Well, uh, when IARC looks at 
either chemicals, which is the majority of the documents that they, you know, that they create, or occupations, such as firefighting, you know, they take the available information that's out there and they use it to make a determination of how likely that chemical exposure, in this case, occupation, uh, is to cause cancer. And really the, the headline news is group one is a known human carcinogen. They state that occupational exposure as a firefighter causes cancer in humans. Uh, you don't get any higher than that. Um, previously, as I mentioned, it was a group 2B, which is only possibly. Uh, there's a 2A, which is probably. And you can kind of think of those as like, you know, uh, below and above 50% uh, likelihood. But, you know, this is a huge change from that 2B. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think if anyone had any questions previously about, whether firefighting uh, caused cancer or was associated with an increase in a number of different types of cancer, uh, I don't think there's any question about it now. I mean, that that has been settled. Um, so again, it's a huge change from before. Do you see, as one of the researchers invited to be a part of the IARC system, do you see this finding um, as being to help, being able to help on the street and then, um, you know, to the firefighters out there, why is this so important to us professionally? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I think that clearly this should help in a great number of the, you know, cancer presumptive workers' compensation cases for firefighters. Uh, you know, in addition to kind of the, the finding of, of group one, there's a whole bunch of information that has gone into this determination that when they come out with a full monograph, which will be sometime in 2023, uh, you know, there'll be just a wealth of information there to, that individuals can look to for, for information about exposures. As you mentioned, Brian, firefighters are exposed to a number of chemicals that are already known to cause cancer in humans to be group one, you know, in addition to, you know, probable and possible human carcinogens as well. So all the things that are in smoke. Uh, and even things like shift work. Um, so, you know, uh, so I, I, I think that will that will help for the workers' compensation claims. The other, you know, things that they look at. So they looked at exposure, and, and firefighters are clearly exposed to carcinogens. Then they look at the ways that those exposures could lead to an increased risk of cancer. Those are called kind of mechanisms. And out of you know a total of ten potential ways that IARC considers that these exposures can cause cancer, they found strong mechanistic evidence, which is the highest you can get, um, that five of these worked. So these were you know, direct damage to DNA, um, epigenetic changes, which you know, cause changes in gene expression that would put you at increased risk of cancer, um, oxidative stress to the cells, which can increase your risk, chronic inflammation, and then finally, receptor-mediated effects, which means that you know these chemicals are activating receptors that are uh, associated with cancers. So, all of these again provide you know additional evidence for for claims. Um, but on top of that, they all provide mechanisms that we can consider now when we're looking at interventions to reduce the risk of uh, cancer in firefighters. So for me, you know this this finding. 
uh, is really important about group one, but now it's really up to us, uh, uh, academics working with the fire service, but really, you know, with the fire service to figure out a way to reduce the cancer risk in firefighters. So we want to, you know, stop these cancers before they occur. So that is where I think we can really work together. And there's a tremendous amount of work to be done so that we can help reduce this cancer burden that we now, you know, have clear evidence that is increased. And Brian, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over to you. How do you see this finding um, assisting you in the, in the, in the cancer um, support network, whether it's giving information to members seeking information or, or even we all know this, that at different times, you know, whether we want to or not, we provide counsel and guidance to firefighters. What kind of a game changer is this for you, Brian? And how, um, how can CPF be um, uh, even, uh, even more supportive as we push this out and, and get more aggressive on, on cancer prevention um, and detection? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, the IARC decision, the IARC finding um, really is nothing that I, that surprises me. It, it, it really is the validation that, that everyone was looking for, that firefighting is indeed a hazardous occupation that causes cancer. We knew that 20 years ago when Dallas Jones was putting together presumptive laws. He knew that, you know, th this is nothing that is groundbreaking other than the fact that in an authoritative agency using some of the, the most world-renowned scientists like Jeff Burgess on this call have now validated that. And they did it in a manner that is legitimate, that is scientifically based, that now proves what we have always thought about cancer and firefighting. So to me, um, it, it's a relief knowing that we have that validation, but it doesn't change the message because the message is, Cancer is, is prevalent in the fire service. It always has been. And until we make significant changes, it always will be. So to me, there's, there's two messages that I would deliver as it relates to this. Number one, in the context of presumptive issues and legislation and litigation as it relates to workers' comp. Every fire department that I've been associated with, that I've worked with uh, members in California on, they, most of them have some sort of a workers' compensation risk management service that handles their claims. Their first mode of defense to this is to not deny a claim. And when you're a firefighter and you've been diagnosed with cancer and you submit that as an occupational claim, to have that denied is an atrocity. It is, it is disgusting and it, it, it infuriates me, as you can probably hear by the tone of my voice. Because what that does is it deflates someone who is already vulnerable, who is already preparing for the fight of their life. And now they're going to have this, this department, this organization they've been loyal to for however many years, is now saying, oh, that's not workers' comp. That's, 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 you didn't get this from the job, when in fact, we know for a fact you did. So I think this finding helps us to reiterate the fact that indeed, cancer as a firefighter is an occupational injury, period, end of discussion. So that's the good news. The second part of this is this should put in front of every firefighter that's listening to this podcast or listening to this message, you have a personal responsibility in reducing your risk for cancer. Every, and we know expert scientists, people that are world renowned have guaranteed that this indeed is a, a, an occupation that causes cancer. Therefore, I shouldn't be looking at social media and seeing idiots not wearing SCBAs fighting car fires. I shouldn't see people standing on roofs of, of burning buildings 
cutting holes for ventilation without an SCBA on. I shouldn't be seeing pictures of people wearing dirty turnouts, melted helmets, and every other stupid thing that firefighters do. I shouldn't be seeing on social media folks in the back of the fire station having cigars, having a smoke and joke session when we're saying that firefighting causes cancer. Those are things that people have to take personal responsibility for. You have to take personal responsibility for your own well-being. You have to get your medical screening exams. And I, I can talk about this for two hours, but I won't. But what I will say is in the context of your question, the IR finding is significant because it should put a big punch in everybody's face saying, you better pay attention to this because now we know for real, everybody agrees in the world that this is a hazard and you need to pay make sure you protect yourself, period, and discussion. One of the missions of the Firefighter Cancer Support Network is education and research and advocacy. And this falls right into that. Uh, and CPF has been right behind us every step of the way. I, I see a great education and awareness campaign coming out that reintroduces a lot of the concepts that we've already introduced to the firefighting world, but more so with valid empirical data that says, hey, look, this is what you have to do. And the other thing that I think this does, Brian, is I think it reinforces the, the acute need to make sure that we're reporting our exposures. We have to make sure we report our exposures. We, we have to have, even though this probably clears a little bit of the, lit the uh, litigation, uh, makes it a little bit easier, I would imagine, for claims to be adjudicated, it doesn't change the fact that we have to take an aggressive stance at reporting our exposures to these carcinogens. Um, I, I share your passion 100%. Um, and you mentioned personal exposure reporting. That's huge. And um, it's simple now. We have PER, it's, it's app-based, it's your information. And I can tell you that um, it does make a difference, not just in cancer and cardiac, but behavioral health. Record your exposures because one of the things that I learned in a 30-year career, nobody gets out of this job unscarred. That's just the way it is. And I wanna kind of switch over to Jeff a little bit. I have two, a couple of things that have always bugged me. We do not, as a profession, we do not do enough, nor do I feel like we have enough information on women's health and the fire service. I think that we do very good about being generic in the things that we design and the presumptive laws, but I, I just, um, in my heart, we, we need to, to um, have a, um, a focused look at how this job affects women. And then Jeff, I'd love to hear any findings you, that you, that you have currently that are being developed to touch on that. And then the other one, and it's going to be our Achilles heel forever is our exposures. You know, initially when I came in, it was lung cancer. That's, that's what heart disease and lung cancer, that's what we were dying from. And, um, now, uh, 40 years later, we figured out um, even though we all learned in EMT school, what is the biggest system in the body? It's your skin. And our skin is a sponge and it soaks it all up. And, and Jeff, if you could just touch on women's health issues, where we are today, where we need to go, where is CPF a legislative body? What are some of the things that we need to look at to protect um, our female members? And then exposure. What, Jeff, what do you see in the future I feel like we're, we've always been at this kind of a stalemate on PPE when it comes, how do you protect your skin? We all know where our hotspots are, neck, 
our groin, our crotch, behind our knees, our armpits? How do we protect those areas? Let's start with the women's health. Uh, Yeah, I mean, women and men are different. Clearly, we know that. Um, Because there have been fewer women in the fire service, there haven't been the same degree of, of research into women's you know, cancers that are specific to women uh, that there have been for men. And it's just a, a size issue because size matters in studies. Uh, the more people you have, the better information you can get. Um, so we did see, I mean, one of the studies that was uh, that I mentioned previously that was really influential, that's Doug Daniels' Three City Study, again, Philly, Chicago, San Francisco. They actually did have you know, some women in that study and enough to show there that within that particular study, women were at a greatly increased risk of bladder cancer and bladder cancer death compared to women in the general population. Um, So IARC didn't come in and, you know, differentiate between men and women. They talked about essentially all firefighters that are out there. But, um, you know, we already had information before this that, you know, that, that women were at uh, at increased risk. We just didn't have the number of studies with the size we needed to really give a really accurate, what we call point estimate, you know, so that we know exactly how much it was. There's usually a broad range and the truth is someplace in that. Um, so women's health, you know, women can, uh, women's cancers are a really important area. Um, you know, they, they are going to face the same issues as men in terms of, you know, reducing their exposures to try to reduce this risk. In addition, and this isn't particular to women, but that's where the research we have right now, many of the chemicals and the exposures that firefighters get don't just increase cancer. They can have effects on the cardiac system. You had, you'd mentioned already, Brian. Um, they can also have reproductive effects. And we actually know more because of the research that's been going on recently out there, much of it funded by FEMA, I must say, and that came from the fire service. Fire service asked FEMA to fund research. FEMA has done that, and that has really helped us enormously. Again, thanks to the fire service and their action on this. But women firefighters have a markedly increased risk of miscarriage as compared to women in the general population. So this is something uh, that you know has already been published. We know it's a risk. There's a new paper that'll be coming along. It's in the you know submission process, which also finds that women firefighters have an increased risk of preterm birth as compared to, uh, to women in the general population. And in that one, you know, there's information that I, that you know when it gets published, you know, which I think will help us set policies you know, uh, as departments to help reduce that risk. So again, we're just kind of waiting on that to go through. So again, increased risk of certain cancers, um, increased risk of adverse reproductive outcomes. And these are things that, you know, we, we need to better understand. Another one that we're seeing is that, that we're actually seeing destruction, unfortunately, of some of the cells around the, the oocytes in a woman's ovary. And we're in a recent project that came, uh, study that came out, the, the levels of this hormone called anti-mullerian hormone, which is a measure of 
reproductive reserve, the number of oocytes a woman still has in her ovary were lower among women firefighters than they were friends of those women firefighters that weren't firefighters. So again, we know that there's problems. We know that you know there's there's things we need to do. We're still in the research phase of trying to figure out what it is exactly that's leading to this that's the most important thing to help you know uh, to address in order of reducing to in order to reduce the risks. I think for me and Brian, I would kind of turn to both of you. Um, if you're a firefighter, if you see a problem, I think always in most of our mind is how do we battle through it? Whether it's a, a, a straight on fight or, you know, we fix it around the edges, but it's always how do we battle through this? And this is going to be one that it is going to be, how do we educate those that, you know, are on the other side of the table to this finding and, and bring them to a point that this isn't an abstract, this is a fact and it applies to our profession. And I think for us, that's going to be the big one. How do we develop and how do we message this to begin to cut some of the red tape for firefighters that have a cancer diagnosis or are in the middle of it and, and working through those denials? And we owe it to our members to develop that message to properly use this finding. You know, do you have suggestions on how best to... Um, utilize these findings going forward? There's, uh, Brian, it's a great question and, it, and you're absolutely on the right track. Interestingly, you know, there's a lot of information and, and Dr. Burgess, as I said, is is a world expert and a huge firefighter advocate. So, you know, and, you know, he, he the way he explains things makes it so easy to understand. Um, but the volume of the information sometimes can be overwhelming. There, there's an organization, I'm part of it, called Science to the Station. Um, and what we what we've recognized is how do we message this appropriately? How do we message this effectively so the firefighters understand what the heck we're talking about? I, you know, I'm starting to understand Dr. Burgess's big words a little bit. You know, uh, methylation and epigenetic and all sorts of really cool words like that. But I'm kind of an idiot when it comes down right down to it. So trying to understand how that applies to firefighting is an important piece of all of this. How do we translate this? into practical standards, practical understandings, practical uh, efforts to really try to protect and enhance our firefighters' ability to navigate this diabolical disease. So there's this group, and it's Dr. Burgess, Sarah Janke, Gavin Horn, Denise Smith, and, and, and all of the, the fire service scientists that have gotten together and said, okay, we're gonna be sort of the storehouse for all of the relevant research and information and we're going to take that information and we're going to translate that into a more understandable and effective methodology and, and method by which people can understand what we're doing and how it applies to the practice of being a firefighter. And that group is already assembled. It's already got its place. We, we, we've met a few times. It's really exciting. And now having the IARC finding, it's going to just help us enhance that even more. So I think that we do need to find a, a very logical, coherent method by which we deliver that information so that it can make changes. And quite frankly, the fire service, <clears throat> the traditional method by which we operate in the fire service, there's going to have to be some changes. And those operational changes are going to have to be at the forefront of people's planning, people's understanding of, of how we do things. And, and it's just it's going to have to be embraced if we want to really reduce this risk. So, uh, Jeff, anything to yeah, add? Yeah, no, Brian did a really nice job of you know summarizing 
the fact that we need to get the information out there in a usable form, right, for firefighters. So we there needs to be, I think, some translation of of you know the the way we write research articles into practical steps. Um, just a few things that that I kind of wanted to talk about in that regard. Um, one uh, is that the one of the cancers that was up the most, and this is a practical illustration of what Brian was just talking about, but one of the ones who was up the most was mesothelioma. Mesothelioma comes from asbestos exposure. We found a long time ago that you're exposed to asbestos when you do overhaul. So if you're not wearing your SCBA during overhaul, you know, and you're in an older building, you're likely to be getting some uh, asbestos exposure. That's going to increase your risk. So that right there is something, you know, really solid. We've, we've, we've also shown long ago that you can get lung inflammation, right, which is one of these characteristics that leads to cancer, again, from exposure during overhaul, not wearing your SCBA, even if you're not seeing much visible smoke, if any at all. So again, just one, you know, solid example of a message that we can put out there really solid information behind it. This is something, if, you, if, if you're not doing it now, you should be and you need to start now. Um, so that's kind of uh, one, uh, one of the points. The, the other one I think is this idea of exposures. And Brian, you mentioned it before uh, about the dermal. Um, we have good information out there that it's not all about just SCBA. You need to wear it whenever you know, you're, you have the potential for being exposed to smoke. They work extremely well, right? I mean, they, they provide the best protection, you know, available for your breathing in chemicals. But from the skin perspective, you know, we <clears throat> did a study and I think Kenny Fent with NIOSH uh, and his group found, found things that, that also tended the same direction, which was that if the ever, that the more time you spend inside, Wearing your SCBA, the greater amount of chemicals you're getting in your urine. So again, using some of the big words that Brian was talking about, like polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or PAHs, some of the, uh, of which are you know known or or suspect human carcinogens. That for every minute in our study that you spent indoors, all right, in an interior response, you had a one percent higher level in your urine. Those guys are wearing their SCBAs. This is just showing it's going directly right into the 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 through this firefighter skin, and then they're pinging it out later in the urine, which we're measuring. So Kenny Fenn in a recent paper showed that benzene, which again is a group one human carcinogen, we know it causes leukemia, among other things, um, that you could actually, again, guys wearing SCBA going into a fire then measuring the amount they breathe out afterwards, that comparing among the types of gear that they had, they still had, you know, um, that they couldn't really reduce that level of benzene exposure from coming through the skin. They could reduce it from inhalation, but you're actually getting under the gear. So this just shows that you need really to consider, you know, dermal exposure, you need to do everything you can to get the stuff off of your skin afterwards quickly, off of your gear too. So these are just some solid examples of things we know that we can move forward with. Jeff and Brian, I appreciate your time. I can see that we're going to need to do some follow-up. Jeff, you just 
you, you couldn't have driven it home with a plainer vision on um, dermal exposure and what it does. And the fact that we're, we're seeing these things come through urine um, where people are protected with SCBA, we're, we're still battling to keep the SCBA on. We're, we're coming a long way. Um, but I think this is going to be that evolutionary change. Let's clean up our industrial hygiene. Let's do the things that we know um, can protect. And then, you know, the next, it, it's the next big system to protect is, is our dermal, it's our skin. And how do we, you know, how do we go about um, doing that? I want to thank both of you um, today for the role that you play um, in this profession and making it better and making it safer, not just for the member firefighters, but for their families. Dr. Burgess, anything that um, you would like to add before we close? Well, I'd, I'd say that there's a number of, of departments in California that are working with us on the firefighter cancer cohort study. So I just want to briefly mention that that's the idea there is to follow firefighters forward over time, even from new recruit classes, you know, um, through to their retirement and try to prevent the cancer from occurring. So understanding the exposures, the effect of those exposures, uh, what we can do to reverse those um, to prevent cancer. And so we, we, have been looking uh, at a number of different exposures with the California departments, looking at trainers, uh, looking at women firefighters, looking at, at uh, wildland exposures, for example, with CAL FIRE and some of the other California departments. So, um, you know, this working with hand in hand with academics, where you as a fire service say, these are the questions we have, you kind of help to collect that information, help to analyze it and share it, I think is a really important way forward. So I this, this what we call community-engaged research where academia works with the fire service, I think is a really powerful tool. And um, you've already been doing that in California. I wanted to thank all the departments that have been, that have helped us get this far. And this will help us provide, I think, that roadmap and the information that Brian was mentioning, you know, that we need to help reduce cancer risk in firefighters. Brian? First, I'd like to just thank Jeff Burgess um, for your tireless research on this. You know, you've been such a good friend of the fire service for so long. And I, and I know we joke a lot about, um, you know, our engagements together, but you truly are, um, you have a heart of a firefighter. And, and I don't think people understand how important that is, especially for someone that does what you do um, it may seem to you that it's academic, but it's not. It's 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 you're one of us, and I just want to thank you for what you do and publicly acknowledge your work because your work is 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 making a significant difference in the lives of firefighters. Um, Brian, you know this as well as I do. You and Mike have been uh, good friends for a long, long time. We have a lot of history together. The California Professional Firefighters um, ha has always had the interest of its membership at the forefront of everything they do. It's not about you. It's not about anything that's shiny or flashy. It's about the well-being of firefighters, which is why I have always appreciated being a member, um, being part of your team and being part of the, the fire service in general. So it's really um, a great recognition for you and your team uh, of, of what you've done and kind of how far you have come on behalf of the firefighters, not just in California, but all over the nation. So 
I want to say thanks for letting me be part of your team and be part of the organization. I very much look forward to what we can do in the future. Um, and, and just want to just acknowledge that anybody that gets cancer, anybody that's diagnosed with cancer, you always have a place to go. You always have a number to call. Um, you always have an advocate behind you that's going to help you through everything you need. Um, www.firefightercancersupport.org is the website. Uh, my personal cell phone is area code 661-904-5075. Use it. If you get diagnosed, I should be your first phone call. Take good care, brother. Thanks for the time. And I just want to, I mean, you could tell from what Brian just said, how important he is in terms of the leadership on these issues. We would not be where we are without his leadership, his support, and helping to, to get the research funded in the first place and then moving it forward. So I just, I, I really want everyone to know how important he is for us as academics in terms of being able to do this type of work. So thank you, Brian. Brian and Jeff, um, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. I can't um, even begin to quantify what it means um, to have both of you in the positions that you're in, that you, you've dedicated a life's work um, to the firefighting prof profession and what it means to the men and women and their families. I don't have enough words to express our gratitude. Thank you both very, very much. If there's one takeaway I think that we can all take from this, um, brothers and sisters, the risk of cancer is real. And if you're a working firefighter, you have to take it seriously, protect yourself with PPE, clean up after a fire, get your gear cleaned up. There's no more badges of honor. Those days are gone. Um, it's about being fit for duty and being fit for life. And that's a quote from our old coach, Al Beta, fit for duty, fit for life. I'm Brian Rice from the California Professional Firefighters, signing off uh, on the latest edition of Firewire. You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month 